0: Hi, this is Jessica Valenti, and you're listening to Abortion Every Day. Today is Saturday, June 17th, 2023, and this is the inaugural episode of The Week in Abortion. This is the first time I'm doing the audio version of The Week in Abortion, as opposed to the daily reports. I figured I would give it a shot, both because we've been so busy in the lead up to the anniversary of Roe being overturned, but also because I just wanted to try something different and, and see if you all liked this better, something that's a little bit more analysis rather than Daily reporting. We'll give it a shot. We'll see how it goes. I do have to tell you this is proof of how much I like you guys, because if you could see me right now, my recording setup, you would laugh your asses off. My husband, who works in radio, I think was a little horrified by my my normal setup. And so he has situated me right now with a full blanket over my head, like a kid in a fort, that sort of situation. I don't know that the sound quality is going to trump. What I have to assume is um, the humiliation that is coming through in my voice. Uh, But we will see. We'll give it a shot. We'll see how it goes. Before I start with what's going on this week, I just wanted to say thanks to everyone for all of their support when that story about the young woman in Texas came out. So many of you shared the article, commented, reached out to me personally, reached out to see how you could support Terry. Obviously not her name, but that's what we called her in the article. And I've got to tell you, after the article was published, she reached out to me and told me just how overwhelmed she was by the feeling of support felt so like held and cared for, I think, in a way that she didn't get to in in real life during that experience, and so I think that seeing all the comments, seeing all the support that came her way really made a huge difference. So thank you for being a part of that. Speaking of Terry's story and abortion care being denied, Unfortunately, we saw more stories like hers come out this week in Louisiana and Kentucky in Kentucky. Heather Mawberry was twenty weeks pregnant when her fetus was diagnosed with anencephaly. Which, as you know by now, is a fatal abnormality. It is the same abnormality that Terry's uh, fetus had. Ma Berry said, I physically cannot and mentally cannot continue carrying her knowing that she's never gonna breathe. Still, despite the fact that this was a fatal abnormality, Kentucky's abortion ban prevented her from being able to get care. And instead, she had to raise over $6,000 in order to travel to Chicago for an abortion. She says she doesn't blame her doctors, but the politicians. She said most of them are men. They are never going to carry a child. They're never going to have to be in the position. They're never going to be the one that was carrying the baby and had to go through hell. Similar story this week out of Louisiana, Brittany Vadrine, her fetus, also diagnosed with anencephaly, also denied care. And you may remember what was doubly infuriating about this story was that anencephaly is specifically listed, specifically named in Louisiana's abortion ban exception, so-called exception, for medically futile pregnancies. But because of how severe Louisiana's law is, she could not find a single doctor willing to provide her an abortion. The risk of criminalization was just too great. They were too afraid. They were afraid of losing their license. They were afraid of going to jail. The, the language of the law is written in such a way that they don't feel safe. And you, you almost can't blame them. And so after being given this horrific news, she had to leave her two children at home and drive to Colorado for care. She said to have to make this choice and then have to go through everything on top of it was just hurt added to the pile of already hurt we were experiencing. And this story just exemplifies something that I say all the time, which is that exceptions aren't real. It doesn't matter what's written in the law if the exceptions aren't able to be used. And we've seen similar things like this happen in places like Mississippi, right? You may remember Mississippi has an abortion ban exception for rape. But There's not one doctor in the state of Mississippi who is willing to risk their freedom and their license to perform an abortion on a rape victim. They just won't do it. And, of course, that's the point. That's why these laws were written in the way that they were. The whole point is to ensure that exceptions can never be used. Their only purpose is to serve as a PR mechanism for Republicans, to make them look better, to make it look like they're softening or compromising on something. But they don't do anything. And one of the reasons you know that they don't do anything, by the way, is that these like extreme anti-abortion groups in these states, like in Louisiana, Tennessee, Texas, if they support these exceptions, that's how you know that they're completely not real. (laughs) Because they would never support these exceptions if they were going to be able to be used. As all of these horror stories come out, if you need something positive, you need to feel good for a minute about what is happening with abortion right now think about that latest Gallup poll. I wrote about it a couple of times this week. It showed record high, all-time high, and growing support for abortion rights. We saw 69% of Americans say that abortion should be generally legal in the first three months of pregnancy. 63% want abortion medication to be legal. And the majority of Americans also believe that abortion is morally okay. These are like amazing numbers, right? I always wish they were higher, always, always, but still amazing numbers conservatives obviously really unhappy with this poll, but they're in this place right now that there's not that much that they can say about it because every poll, every credible poll is showing the same thing. And so they can see the writing on the wall. And so instead of addressing the fact that they're passing these bans against the wishes of voters, what they're doing is they're trying to refocus what the takeaways of these numbers are. And so with the Gallup poll in particular, what they did was uh, focus on the drop in support for legal abortion after the first trimester. It goes from 69% to 37% when you're talking about um, support for abortion in the second trimester, they are pointing to that, that drop as proof that the 12-week bans, the 15-week bans that they are uh, proposing, that those are the reasonable restrictions that they keep saying that they are, that they're the compromise, common sense, sensible restrictions that Americans want, right? That's what they said in response to this poll, and that's what they're going to keep saying. They're going to say that uh, Americans want restrictions at a certain point, look at the drop-off of support. What they don't mention, though, what they don't want to talk about is the fact that just a few years ago, support for abortion in the second trimester was just 28%. That is an almost 10-point jump. And I know I mentioned this earlier this week. It's worth saying again. That is a huge jump. And we saw a similar nearly 10-point jump in support for abortion in the third trimester as well. That says to me that Americans are really starting to understand the nuances of abortion, Their understanding that pregnancy is too complicated to legislate, I think it's a really, really good sign. And so anytime um, a Republican, a conservative brings up the fact that support for abortion drops off after the first trimester, please, please mention, actually, it went up quite a bit. We're only seeing increases. I've got a few updates on ballot measures for you this week. We had good news in South Dakota. A judge blocked portions of a new policy that was preventing abortion rights advocates from gathering signatures in really popular key areas where they're used to gathering signatures. The rule was challenged by Dakotans for Health because it was essentially prohibiting these petitioners from talking to people in front of certain municipal buildings. They said they were really happy with the ruling and that it sends a powerful message that attempts to curtail basic freedoms will not be tolerated. In Florida, we also had good news on the ballot measure front. The coalition that is working to get a pro-choice amendment on the ballot is going really, really strong. They collected over 130,000 signatures to date. It's probably higher now. That number is from a few days ago. Uh, They need nearly 900,000 by February in order to get abortion in front of voters in 2024. So we'll keep a close eye on that. In less terrific, though not entirely unsurprising news, the Ohio Supreme Court ruled this week that Republicans' special August election which is trying to raise the standard for ballot measures, that that election can go on as planned. Just in case you need a reminder, the state GOP is using that special election to try to increase the votes required to pass a ballot measure from a simple majority up to 60%. In the meantime, activists in the state have one more month to collect the over 400,000 signatures that they need to get the issue in front of voters. We had a few legal updates this week as well. You probably remember since this just happened yesterday. Iowa Supreme Court declined to reinstate a near-total abortion ban, which is incredible. They upheld a 2019 block on the law. Obviously, that's not gonna stop Republicans from introducing new anti-choice legislation, but it's a great win in the meantime. In North Carolina, the ACLU is challenging that recently passed abortion ban on behalf of abortion providers in the state. The ACLU is also challenging Nebraska's abortion ban. Um, which they're calling a 12-week ban. It is actually a 10-week ban. That happened a little while ago, but what did happen this week was that a judge declined to block the law while the case is being heard. So that law is in effect right now, which is shitty. In North Dakota, where a trigger law was replaced by a newer ban in April, abortion providers have changed their lawsuit to reflect uh, you know, the new abortion ban. But I wanted to flag this again because of uh, a note on language. You know that I have been talking a lot about the way that Republicans are claiming to clarify their abortion bans, right? They're using that word clarify a lot while they're doing actually almost nothing or making the laws worse in in some cases. And when North Dakota's governor signed that new abortion ban into effect in April, he actually used that word. He said it clarifies and refines the trigger law. So definitely keep an eye out for that word clarifies. In Texas, for example, Republicans just passed new legislation this week that they say is going to clarify the state ban by allowing doctors to give women life-saving abortions, something that they say it already did. We know it didn't. Um, This clarification, so-called, is happening in the wake of 15 women who are suing the state after the law put their health and lives at risk. And again, as is the case with all of these clarifications, these uh, amendments, The law doesn't do shit. It's not doing anything. It's not making women safer. It's not helping doctors. The only thing it is doing is allowing for doctors to make an affirmative defense after they're sued. You may remember that term, affirmative defense, from Tennessee's law, and that's something I spent a lot of time a couple of months ago talking about. It requires doctors who need to give a life-saving abortion to break the law and then defend later why it was necessary. And so again, this doesn't help doctors in any meaningful way, in any way at all. It just helps Republicans claim that they are doing something. Finally, in Oregon, Republicans ended that six-week walkout after they reached a so-called compromise, I told you about this yesterday, that watered down abortion protections for minors in the state. I did want to update you on this, though, because after I reported on this yesterday, I heard from an abortion fund volunteer and board member in Oregon about just how bad this agreement really is. She said it goes beyond watering down the protections for minors. She said it also is going to remove provisions that would have expanded abortion access in rural areas of the state where all of these crisis pregnancy centers are, um, that would have expanded access near college campuses. And it also killed a ballot referral that would have automatically put an abortion rights amendment in front of voters. Now, because they got rid of that, it means that pro-choice organizations who are already just like completely exhausted, completely overwhelmed, they're going to need to collect hundreds of thousands of signatures in order to make that happen. So it it went beyond just like a couple of little compromises. It was a, a really bad deal. I wanted to talk about anti-choice strategy for a minute. And if you've ever heard the term DARVO, you'll understand what I mean. As I was thinking through what was happening this week, I just kept thinking about DARVO. And if you don't know what that is, it is a tactic that is often used by abusive people. And DARVO stands for Deny, Attack, and Reverse Victim and Offender. So you're denying what's happening, you attack the person, and then you claim that, that you're the victim. And that's exactly what we're seeing from anti-abortion activists and politicians right now, right? Especially when it comes to clinic violence and harassment. They're working so hard to pretend as if they're the victims. And it's especially dangerous in a moment like right now when we're seeing so many attacks on pro-choice clinics. Just in the last few weeks, we've seen attacks in places like Danville, Illinois, where activists recently passed an anti-abortion ordinance, right? There's been all of this stuff happening with local governments passing anti-abortion ordinances in pro-choice states, and then the community getting really heated about it, and everyone's fighting with each other, and the tensions are high. The building site for the clinic in Danville, Illinois, where they just passed that anti-abortion ordinance, it has been attacked twice this month, once by a man who drove his car into the site with supplies to set it on fire. That in Wyoming this week, a patient from Wellspring Health Access, which just reopened, by the way, after being destroyed by an arson, I know you know that, a patient was held against her will at an anti-abortion center. She was locked in a room. Just unbelievable. Also this week in California, two men, one of whom is a Marine, were arrested for throwing a Molotov cocktail at a Planned Parenthood last year. It is getting worse and worse and worse. While all of this is happening, conservatives keep insisting that they are the ones who are in danger of pro-choice violence, right? We have Republicans adopting a resolution that condemns violence against anti-abortion groups. Marco Rubio said pro-abortion terrorism is sweeping our nation. We've seen conservatives pressure the Biden administration to use the FACE Act to prosecute people who just graffitied on anti-abortion centers. And now the FBI is increasingly investigating pro-choice so-called domestic terrorism. The Intercept had an article about that yesterday with one former FBI agent calling it a flawed notion of parody. There is just so much of this going on. Increased violence, increased harassment, and yet we're being lied to and gaslit and told that it's actually pro-choicers who are are violent and hurting anti-abortion centers. It's so incredibly frustrating to watch. And what makes it even scarier is that while they're pretending to be the victims, they are also trying to make it easier for anti-choice activists, extremists, to target clinics, to target abortion patients and and abortion providers. I've been talking for the last couple of weeks about the legal challenges to buffer zone laws, right? We've seen this in a few states now. Lawsuit after lawsuit, basically claiming buffer zones um, outside of clinics that prevent activists from going within a a certain amount of feet of a clinic or a patient, that those are violations of free speech. So at the same time that this harassment is increasing, the, the clinic violence is increasing, Anti-choice activists, uh, legal organizations are trying to, to ensure that they can get even closer to those people, that they can like really get in their face. It's scary. It's scary. I have to imagine that you are sick of hearing about the word consensus. I write about it so much, but I just had to mention just a couple short things, just a little bit. I promise it won't be much. As you know, anti-abortion activists, strategists, politicians, they're using the word consensus quite a lot. They want to distract from the fact that they're passing bans against the wishes of voters. And they want to make the restrictions seem as if there's something Americans really want, right? And that's why we're seeing anti-abortion activists like the Susan B. Anthony pro-life America saying, you know, we're not passing a national ban. We're looking for a national consensus. Just complete fucking absurdity. But when you start to look for that word or even like the sentiment behind it, you will start to see it everywhere just this week alone. In a town hall for CNN, former New Jersey governor, current Republican presidential candidate Chris Christie said that the federal government shouldn't be involved in abortion, quote, unless there's a consensus around the country. He went on, to use the word consensus about a million fucking times, I want to see that consensus, and then as president, I want to build off that consensus. Let's leave it to the states, and if a consensus emerges, we'll know it. When he said that, a lot of pundits said, well, look, he's equivocating, he's not saying anything on abortion. But he actually is right? And this is why I point this out, because if you know what to look for, you will realize that they are always saying something. He was absolutely saying something by using that word consensus. Something similar, after the Republican mayor of Miami, Francis Suarez, announced his candidacy for president, he explained his support for a 15-week national ban by saying, quote, we are in a situation where 70 percent of the country agrees with a limitation of 15 weeks. You don't have to use the word consensus to utilize the strategy behind it, right? They're trying to say, and this goes back to this Gallup poll too, they are trying to push forward the idea that most Americans want a restriction. They don't. They don't. But they're desperate to push forward that idea. And again, I mentioned this yesterday. I think it's really important from that poll. One of the things we've seen change over the last few months, over the last year, is the way that people think, other people think about abortion, right? So right before Roe was overturned, 69% of anti-choice voters thought most Americans opposed abortion. But by December, only 43% of them thought that. That is a huge deal. And Republicans know it's a huge deal because Americans are influenced, voters are influenced by what they believe other people think. And so if voters on the fence start to understand that the vast majority of Americans are pro-choice, Republicans know that could swing them in the pro-choice direction. That's why they're focusing so much on talking about a consensus and trying to make it seem as if, you know, all Americans believe in this in this 15 week restriction, because if they can convince people of that, then they think voters will go for that. So, again, it's just another one of those words that's really important to pay attention to. And I have about a million more. I'll probably be writing an article for the Roe anniversary about the language to watch out for. I also included a quote of the week in the newsletter today that I wanted to share. And this is from Julie Burkhart who is the president of Wellspring Health Access, which, as you know by now, I'm sure, is the Casper Wyoming clinic that was a victim of of arson and just reopened where that patient was just essentially kidnapped. She gave an interview to New York Magazine, and she says lots of terrific things, and I've linked to it in the newsletter, but she had one line that I just had to repeat and share. She said, we cannot allow this tyranny of the minority to dictate the outcome of other people's lives. And I love that. And I think that it's so important that that is what we are talking about all the time, especially considering Republicans' obsession with the word consensus. What's happening right now is not Americans being split or polarized over abortion. What is happening is exactly what she's saying. It's the tyranny of the minority. It is a small group of extremist legislators imposing their will on the majority of voters. It it is completely anti-democratic. No matter how you feel about abortion, it's completely anti-democratic. And the more that we can focus on that, I think the better. I'm not going to lie. I'm getting very hot underneath this blanket. I was going to riff a little bit more, but I am sweating my ass off underneath here and I don't think I can take it anymore. So I will end it here. Um, I hope everyone is doing well. Let me know what you think about the uh, weekly audio newsletter as opposed to the daily audio newsletter. I'm going to try it again next week for the row anniversary and I'll, I'll make it a little bit longer and do a little bit more analysis. But I just wanted to try this out. Give it a shot before anything. But let me know if you prefer it. I know some of you really like me taking you through just like the daily reports because instead of reading, you listen and I get that. But I've also heard from some people that since you get the the written reports that you would almost rather just hear something different from me, hear a little bit more analysis, hear a little bit more off the cuff commentary, which I am happy, of course, to give. I could talk about this shit forever, much to the annoyance of every single person in my life. That's it. I'll stop yammering on. I hope everyone is doing well. I hope that you're enjoying the weekend and I hope that you take the time over the next couple of days to talk to someone about abortion. I will talk to you about abortion on Monday or maybe next weekend. You'll hear from me about abortion on Monday. Thanks for listening.